The message of personal responsibility that is often offered by the self-help industry can, at its worst, distract us from or have us ignore structural inequities, like the experiment from the marshmallow test. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Comfort Zone, the podcast that redefines personal and professional development, guiding you through change the easy way so that you can live your best life. And my name is Adam Kowalik. I'm so grateful for this medium, podcasting, and the fact that you're listening to my episode. I don't take that for granted. I I think it's a wonderful time we're living in where ideas and value is enabled to spread so easily and deeply, and that you're investing your time and attention in tuning in to what this podcast has to offer. That's that's just beautiful to me. I've been doing this podcast since September 2022, on a weekly basis, except for a short hiatus when I was changing hosting platforms. Currently, the way that things unfold for me, I end up producing and recording each weekly episode in a very real-time manner. Often, like today, Monday, I'm researching, writing and recording and editing the episode that is being published tomorrow, on Tuesday. And sometimes, The editing is done on Tuesday and the episode is published straight away, piping hot, fresh, out of the oven, which can explain why the weekly episodes come out at different times, but mainly on the same day, Tuesdays. This is actually how I happen to like it for now. This allows me to create and publish content and topics that are very relevant to me. And so when you're listening to the episode... Know that I very recently spoke those words, and if you feel moved by anything that I'm sharing in the episode, you can text me directly on WhatsApp to let me know. There's a link in the show notes that will connect us on WhatsApp. Or you can leave a comment on the episode page when you visit the podcast on Substack, knowing that I most likely will be very excited about continuing the conversation since I, in the past 24 hours, been very immersed in the topic. I just felt like sharing this little inside information with you before I jumped into the topic of this episode. The concept of inside the comfort zone has been around since the beginning of 2021, but the actual basis for the concept has been with me since 2006. I had recently become a group manager working for IKEA and their central warehouse, and I was responsible for a large group of workers. I had been building out an extensive economics policy and injury prevention process, which had put me on the map of the higher leadership positions that would later follow. In my work with ergonomics, I discovered that there are ways to get more done without having to exert more effort. When you lift and handle goods in a more ergonomic way, it preserves your energy and prevents injuries, which allows you to maintain a higher productivity and for the company to avoid costly sick leave or workarounds. When I became a group manager, another idea guided my leadership when I took the group's performance to an all-time high on a consistent basis. I was convinced that if we feel better at work, we do better work. I invested a lot of time in interpersonal relationships, building trust and closeness. I made sure there was a sense of safety, and enough time to do their work at an adequate level, 
I made sure they felt seen and heard and that there was enough time for breaks and recovery. I focused on providing the right kind of training so that people were able to develop skills and autonomy. And thanks to them being able to do a good job, there was more time available for team building activities. Now, when I first had this idea, it was a radical idea in the environment that we were part of, for several reasons. Historically, the leadership had been using management by fear, which was a legacy from a time before we had become IKEA. We used to belong to a third-party logistics company before IKEA took us over. So I got a lot of pushback when I introduced what I had in mind. But luckily, I had some sponsorships in the higher-ups of the company. And I explained to them that to do what we're about to do, there will be a temporary dip in productivity due to the increased allocation of resources in the initial stages. And once out of that temporary phase, we'd see the productivity not only recover, but we'd see a steady increase and eventually stable productivity higher than when we first started out. To make this story shorter, I'll simply say that everything that I had foreseen came to pass and the team enjoyed their work better and they also worked better. This was measured in part through the productivity tools that we had, but also through the annual staff survey that was carried out. So we could truly see that both elements were working. We were more productive and we enjoyed our work more. I later got sought out to implement a similar process in other locations around Sweden and this is how I spent the next six years of my career. I used a similar process when I co-founded an internationally recognized personal trainer school in Sweden where I was teaching and developing the ideas from my corporate career even further. Here again, I was convinced that when we feel better, we do better and that we all want the same thing, to feel better. There was, or still is, a famous experiment called the Marshmallow Experiment. An experiment designed to test children's ability to delay gratification. The experiment arrived at the conclusion that children who were good at delaying gratification did better later in life compared to children who were not as good at delaying gratification. I ate the chocolate now. Did you eat it? No. Let me see. Oh, wait, leave it there for a second. Don't touch it yet. Why? So here's a deal. I'll make a deal with you. Here's two. If you don't eat those, I'll give you three. Okay. Okay? But this time I'm going to go outside and you have to be quiet the whole time, okay? Why? Because that's the test. That's the game. If you don't, if you don't eat those, I'll give you three chocolates, okay? Can I eat them now? When I heard about this experiment, it made a lot of sense to me. At the time, I had created an identity for myself that I was a hard worker, that getting stuff done meant that I had to sacrifice other areas of my life. I slept about five to six hours per night only to have more time to hustle. And so the marshmallow test was kind of good news about very bad habits of mine, seemingly confirming that I was doing things the right way. So on one side, I had this understanding that when we feel better, we do better. And I had put that into the practice in different areas of my life. And on the other side, I had this pattern of behavior to always be hustling. Around the same time as when I started to come up with this concept of inside the comfort zone, 
I heard some new perspectives on the marshmallow test and its findings that got me to put perhaps a final piece in place. So the experiment made claims that if you develop only one thing in children, it should be willpower and the power to delay gratification, since this led to so many great benefits in later years. However, later studies have shown that the discovered benefits kind of faded out after the age of 15. So whatever benefits children had when they were able to focus and avoid being distracted often ended up going away when they turned into young adults. Another even more surprising thing that later reviews of the marshmallow experiment showed was that not only the children who successfully delayed their gratification, meaning not eating the marshmallow, fared better in life later, but so did the other kids too. So even the kids who ate the marshmallow ended up doing pretty well in life. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah. Was that frustrating? Yeah. But guess what? You won the game because you were able to wait, huh? Was that hard? Yeah. That was a hard game, huh? Here, but guess what? Waiting that long was worth it, wasn't it? One thing to be aware of when it comes to the famous and foundational marshmallow test is that it was performed at Stanford Preschool in the late 60s, early 70s on children to highly educated parents with a certain socioeconomic status. And this factor has been shown in later studies to be more important than eating or not eating a marshmallow. What is more influential when it comes to overall success in life is children's socioeconomic status. This knowledge changed a lot for me. I realized that up until then, I had often advocated for the development of stronger willpower, backed by this very experiment, the marshmallow experiment. In fact, another piece of evidence for the inaccuracy that I had been practicing came, funnily enough, from the same place as where the marshmallow experiment had taken place in a study conducted by Stanford psychologist Carol Dweck and her colleagues, published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. They observed in an experiment that people who believed that willpower was limited, like something you have or don't have at any given time, were the ones who gave up in the experiment. And for the test subjects that had no such limiting beliefs, willpower was not something that got depleted, and they found that they could keep going. What this is pointing towards is that if you believe that willpower is a finite resource, then it will become true, and because of this, you will one day find yourself depleted. The idea of having or not having willpower, that it's in limited supply, is doing more harm than good since it invited the believer to give up when they otherwise could have kept going. Instead, there are ideas out there that supports the concept of willpower being more like an emotion rather than a finite resource, just like you don't run out of anger or joy. Willpower is something that can rise or retreat. The point I'm trying to make here is that willpower and the mind over matter aren't the holy grail to become successful in life. There are certain environmental aspects that play a big role in how we make it later on in life.
The self-help industry often talks about how we should always take responsibility for ourselves. I too talk about this very often. What this can do at times is to broadcast a message of how if you're in a bad spot, that is something that you're responsible for and that you can be the forger of your own destiny by taking radical responsibility for your actions. This message can cause people to feel bad about themselves since they then feel that the situation they are in is their fault. And on a big picture level, this can make us shift the responsibility of the collective onto the responsibility of the individual. And this can and is being used as a political platform because fewer resources can be allocated since it's now up to the individual rather than the social structures or institutions. Take recycling as an example. The responsibility of recycling our waste has been put on the individual or the consumer, if you will, rather than the manufacturer, the companies. The message of personal responsibility that is often offered by the self-help industry can, at its worst, distract us from or have us ignore structural inequities, like the experiment from the marshmallow test. I believe there's a distinction and a difference between shifting personal responsibility in such a way that what we are fostering is self-blame in the name of independence, and then you have self-reliance where we can gain self-agency and an ability to act. If personal responsibility is making you believe that you are then supposed to be independent of everyone else and that being self-made is a badge of honor, then I am concerned that we are ignoring a much bigger picture. We are not independent. We are very much interdependent and connected. I mean, I didn't sew the clothes on my back grow the food on my plate, or build the computer that I'm using to make this episode. Chances are that neither do you. Everything we are and have is built from previous generations, efforts and interconnectedness. As a species, we thrive thanks to the fact that each individual means that we are adding to our numbers, which are increasing our chances of survival. We can't ignore the social structures that underpin our very existence. We don't exist separate from each other, but we exist in connection with each other. If we say that personal responsibility means equality, we risk missing the fact that life isn't fair and life hasn't provided equal opportunities for everyone. I believe in horizontal relationships rather than vertical relationships. Rather than having vertical relationships where we have people on the top and people at the bottom, I want to have horizontal relationships where we are equal. Fostering horizontal relationships and being equal doesn't mean that we don't or can't extend help to people who need it. Horizontal relationships are what allows us to have real communities. Communities where we are not separate, but connected. Where we help each other, not from a place of being better than, or viewing people as lazy, irresponsible, and at fault for their own situations. We have far more in common than what separates us. And we all want the same thing. To feel better. In everything we do, we do it so that we can feel better. And sometimes we need help.
This podcast exists as a way to redefine the personal and professional development industry, and I've spoken before about the harm that the industry can do. I'm planning on having a few guests come and talk more about this topic and together redefine the self-help industry. Lately, I've been even more interested in better understanding the flip side of my profession as I am looking for better ways to deliver the transformation and outcomes that I've seen in the people I've worked with and also what I can do to run a more ethical practice when it comes to marketing and selling my services. I'm also looking into ways to make the service of coaching more accessible and affordable to people who would benefit tremendously from it but just don't have the funds to invest. All the while making sure to not ignore the fact that life isn't an equal playing field. Much can be done despite the hand we've been dealt with if the cards can be played well. Also, like with the willpower observation by Dweck and her colleagues, when you see your resources as limited and your options as such, that often becomes your reality. Whereas what might actually be going on is that you have it within you to be the change you want to see. I know from my experience in the corporate world, in the co-founding of the PT school, and from the work I've done in over eight years as a coach, change and motivation expert, that when we feel better, we do better. And when you grow, perform and succeed from inside the comfort zone, you are able to live your best life. Thanks for listening to Inside the Comfort Zone with me, Adam Kowalik, and I'll be back next week with another regular episode. If you like the show, please follow and rate it on Spotify. And if you have a friend who you think should hear what we spoke about today, please share it with them. The best way to get the episode as soon as possible is to subscribe to Inside the Comfort Zone via Spotify or whatever podcast app you like to use. Check out some of the previous episodes by visiting insidethecomfort.zone. Inside the Comfort Zone was brought to you by Adam Kowalik, life coach, speaker and author on a mission to redefine personal and professional development. Thank you for being you and please keep it up. Talk more soon.